This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome in. Lake Kick is live. It is Thursday night, April 22nd, the year of our Lord, 2021 Jam Pack. I'm getting a lot of feedback because I'm just now checking my inbox for the first time today. Really good feedback about the Lake Kick Extra podcast we did this morning. Had a little musical element there. I recorded it in a different place than I normally do, which would be right here in the studio. And because I was in the studio, there's this little guitar. You can't see it, but I can right now. It just kind of sits off in the corner all by its lonesome. It is Nashville after all, and no one ever touches it. So I decided to touch it this morning. Um, Wouldn't say I'm exactly Hendrix, but this is a right-handed guitar anyway, so it doesn't apply. But if you haven't already checked that out, check out the Lake Kick Extra podcast from this morning. As for this show here tonight, we got a lot of, obviously, spring intel. We got a lot of games happening this weekend. So there are a lot of them in the SEC. I think off the top of my head, and we're going to get to it in just a second, so I don't know why I'm naming them, but South Carolina, Tennessee, Ole Miss, Texas A&M, we're going to touch on all those teams tonight. A lot to get to about those teams. We're going to expand it nationally. North Carolina tees it up this weekend. Texas, Oklahoma, got some Michigan State on the show tonight. whole lot of quarterback transfers happening. I had a stat I put out this morning, by the way. Did you know that if you looked at a new transfer every second that's currently in the transfer portal, it would still take you right at one hour to see every name in the transfer portal? So do the math on that. There are a lot of names in the transfer portal. But quarterbacks we treat kind of differently because a lot of these guys are going to go in the transfer portal and it's going to be like a black hole. They will never be heard from again. Most quarterbacks aren't that way, and a lot have already found landing spots, and I'm going to talk about several of them tonight because some of these guys are going to be immediately involved and be factors in conference title races. So it's like it's the real deal. It's not a guy who's going to go probably like four and eight for someone. That plus anonymous draft takes. It's not really an NFL draft show. We're not talking about the NFL draft per se tonight, but it is that season, you know, mock draft season, which we so affectionately refer to around here. And there's a lot coming out, again, about guys you have watched for three or four years in some cases And all of a sudden, you're being told things that uh, apparently you didn't know and apparently I didn't know. Well, Bruce Feldman uh, over at The Athletic does really good work. thought he put together a really, really good piece where he went to actual football people in the college game, a bunch of quarterback coaches from different programs, and he got their intel, their feedback. It was good, so I'm going to share some of it with you later. Instagram growing like wildfire right now, at Late Kick Josh. We are approaching another milestone there, and as you knock those milestones down, we're going to give you stuff, so... Hit that 3,000 mark and just watch what happens. At Late Kick Josh. Got some good videos there this week. Probably have some more before the end of the week. Let's dive into what's happening this weekend, though. So our Sunday show did really good traffic. And our Sunday show, I would argue, was Director Emeritus Colin. I wouldn't say it was as packed as a normal in-season show on a Sunday night. Because on Sunday nights around here, it's crazy. I mean, we're working right up into showtime and we're jamming those shows full. We, we frequently go over an hour during the season. But since 
off seasons don't exist around here. We loaded that show up because we had a bunch of spring games to talk about. Well, this Sunday's show, I would imagine, is going to be kind of the same way because look at all these games we got. So let's talk about SEC spring games to start it off here. Tennessee has a big spring game this weekend. Uh, they in South Carolina have moved their game to Sunday because of weather. Maybe that's not the only game that's going to get moved. I don't know. But they're going to tee it up at some point this weekend. Texas A&M is on the field. Ole Miss is on the field. So let's talk about these. And I wanted to, as Jesse shows you the schedule there, there are your times if you can't see them. Uh, A&M is Saturday at 2 o'clock. Tennessee, Saturday at 4. Ole Miss, Saturday at 5. And then South Carolina moved their game to Sunday. All of those times are Eastern, Sunday at 2 o'clock for South Carolina. Let's talk about Tennessee first. I went over on the Vols 24-7 board today. I was trying to get a feel. like Not a mood tracker, per se. We'll do more mood trackers as we get sort of in the media days uh, portion of the schedule. But I wanted to feel out the Tennessee fan base. Where are they? Josh Heupel, a little ways in now, working his way through his first spring, coming up on the spring game. And I pride myself, and we pride ourselves around here, and being able to leverage the most valuable resource in our industry, which is, to me, the network of team message boards on the 247sports.com uh, network of team sites, Virtual Vol came through with a really good one over there today. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it was really in-depth, and it was basically saying a couple of things. So there was, I thought it was the perfect post, and I said as such on the board. He said, you know, the roster at this point is probably a little bit better than the nation thinks it is. We lost some guys, but yet we also had a terrible offensive plan, or if we had a plan at all last year, it was negligible. So we got a guy coming in, and we got a staff coming in that understands how to properly leverage offensive talent. So we've got that. We got a roster that's probably a little bit better than people think it is, but yet we're also way, way away from being able to contend at any level. There's hole here, there's hole there. So, you know, let's not go crazy, but it's reasonable to expect us to make a bowl game this year. I agree with all that. Uh, by the way. So I wanted to give a shout out there to Virtual Vol and the folks over on the Vol's 24-7 message board. Is it time to reset offensive expectation? Is the entire backdrop with which I will watch this Tennessee spring game Saturday? We're not going to obviously, and kind of a caveat for everything, you don't really learn anything definitively from a spring game. But what you can start to get a sense of is how do we really know what Tennessee has offensively? You know the names. How do you really know what they're capable of? Like I, I got so tired of seeing Director Emeritus Collin walk in so mopey, head down, kicking a can into the studio after every single Tennessee game this past year because he did not have an offense that gave him any confidence. Is he going to have one this year? If you don't pull for Tennessee, if you're indifferent, for the sake of Director Emeritus Collin, at least hope that you see a tangible, viable improvement for Tennessee offensively Saturday. And that really boils down to what position? It boils down to quarterback. Now, there's an interesting thing going on at Tennessee quarterback-wise that, again, if you're not a diehard Tennessee fan, you probably have been a little bit tuned out on. Uh, Jared Garantano essentially transferred to Russia. He went all the way to Washington State, Knoxville to Washington State. There are no direct flights. I checked. Even JetBlue does not go from Knoxville to Pullman, Washington. So he's out of the picture. But who's still here? Well, Brian Maurer is still there. You know you've got Harrison Bailey still there. But Hendon Hooker, you don't know that name if you're just an SEC guy. He comes in from Virginia Tech. And now Joe Milton coming in from where? Michigan. Won't be there Saturday, mind you. But a whole bunch of names in the mix here. So here's the thinking. Here's the hope and maybe the thinking amongst the faithful there in Vol Nation. It's that if we got a guy in Josh Heupel who specializes in this whole offensive thing and specifically quarterback and we got four of them that have shown pulses of life at various points in their careers. 
maybe we have the right one somewhere in that room. I wouldn't quite call it the equivalent of what LSU is dealing with because that's kind of a theme there. I think the overall talent level is better in the LSU room. But when Harrison Bailey walked in, I mean, we were thinking Harrison Bailey's eventually going to be the guy. Maybe he still will be. Maybe Hooker from Virginia Tech is one of those guys, perfect place, perfect time, perfect intersection with the right coach and the right system. So we can watch that Saturday, but we can also kind of look at them at linebacker. Henry Toa Toa is out. So how many playmakers, how many game changers do you have over there on defense? Velas Jones is a name that like, I think I'm okay with him at wide receiver behind him. Want to see what kind of talent they have. But yet again, if we're looking at the right system and you find the right quarterback, all those other wide receiver dominoes sometimes tend to fall into place. How about South Carolina? This game, again, has been moved to Sunday. Secondary and wide receiver is what we've talked about throughout the majority of the first few months for Shane Beamer being on campus. I don't know that in some cases, I don't know that these are questions that can be answered in year one. You're just going to kind of have to deal with an it is what it is type situation. But how many DBs, more specifically, how many safeties do you have that you can trust to play winning football? RJ Roderick is a name that you think you can depend on. Jalen Foster's name you think you can depend on. There is very little true proven safety depth that they have on that team. Now, corner may be in a little bit better situation, but um, with the way offense works in this conference these days, to have some uh, question marks, let's say, at safety, it's not the best place to have question marks anymore. It used to be that you thought you could get by. You know, we're going to face Georgia. They're going to run at a 70-30 clip. We're going to face Florida. Like, what are they going to do? We're going to fa- it's not that way anymore. So you got to uh, got to be able to make sure you got a ceiling, a little cap on the defense. Watch that and watch how many wide receivers are able to make plays. Because I don't, I don't think, and no Gamecock fans really going to argue with me right now. I don't think that that is a true high level SEC caliber receiver room by any stretch of the imagination. Now that may be an area. It may be a position group, for example, that Shane Beamer and his staff don't think that they're done with. It's just widely assumed, and I'm a part of this thinking that there's a second wave of transfers coming in the sport in general. Maybe they're the beneficiary of that. Maybe not. Time will tell there. Also, there's a name you remember if you follow recruiting Jordan Birch. Jordan Birch was a five-star guy. They kept him, did South Carolina in-state a couple of, I guess, two cycles ago now. I wonder what kind of presence he'll have this year. It's always nice to have a bang at a spring game, but just in general. So watch him at the spring game then moving forward. And also this name I told you about last week, I reached out to one of our deep insiders at South Carolina. And I said, give me a name, give me a name. He said, you got to talk about EJ Jenkins. EJ Jenkins is the FCS transfer at tight end that they're going to kind of use in multiple different ways because he's kind of just like, um, he's a guy that doesn't make sense. So I think he's 6'7", like 240, 250, and he looks like he should be maybe a smaller offensive tackle, you know, in, in some option schemes. Or he looks like certainly he should be a jumbo tight end, but yet they feel completely confident they could use him at receiver if need be. Because even though he's 6'7", 240, 245, whatever he is, he can just move. He can just run. So I haven't seen him yet. There may be some sketchy, blurry practice footage out there. I haven't really seen him. So we get to see him Saturday. How about Texas A&M? Texas A&M is a place that has been really hard to get information out of. Now, I guess that's credit to Jimbo Fisher, but it's not the best thing in the world when we're trying to do a show around here. Michigan, Texas A&M, slap on the wrist, because we have been able to get precious little intel out of there. That offensive line is a, a position that's one of the most important position groups in America this year. If we're talking about 
a year of transition, a year where maybe some fresh blood knocks on the door of the playoff or kicks the door down to the playoff. Well, if it's going to be Texas A&M, it's going to be a lot of focus, rightfully so, on Haynes King at quarterback. Can Zach fill in the blank? What's his last name? What's his last name? Calzada. Calzada. Now, a lot of people think you're not going to need to learn that name because he's not going to win the job. But nevertheless, they're going to be focused on that quarterback battle. They're going to be focused on AM finally producing those high-caliber receivers that they had once upon a time with guys like Swope and Mike Evans. But having said all that, what is really the key here? Because what you could take for granted with them last year was a very, very good offensive line. They were kind of anonymous because there was no true superstar there. In fact, Joe Moore, I guess they named the award after him, Joe Moore's still there, probably their best offensive lineman. He's going to kick out to tackle for him this year. But outside of that, those other four spots, big question marks. They got skill. They're not void of talent, but there is no proven depth there. Uh, this has been the popular talking point at AM. Nationally, it's been quarterback. So let's watch that offensive line. I think there'll be a lot of mixing and matching there if that little intel that we do get out of College Station is to be believed. But also, Then you can look at quarterback, obviously. Haynes King is the guy that most people in and around Texas A&M expect to win that job. I don't know to what degree Jimbo Fisher views that as a formality. And I don't know how open he's going to be about that. So we get to lay our eyes on those quarterbacks this Saturday in a spring game environment. Again, don't know how much we're going to learn. But their defense should be good this year. Their offense overall should be good if you get quarterback figured out, which I have faith that they will. I'm not one of these people who believes that they're going to fall off a cliff production-wise just because they lost a multi-year starting quarterback. I don't believe that's the way it has to work. But if you've got a subpar offensive line, not knocking on the door of the playoffs. So that's the thing that I'm watching the most with them. And I'll tell you another thing that would be refreshing. Jalen Wiedermeyer, or Weidermeyer, I never get the pronunciation of the name right. I mean, and I know it's disrespectful to not be able to pronounce, pronounce the guy's name right or actually say the sentence right, but man, I have a hard time. So him, that really, really impressive tight end. He's there, but he's out, so he's not going to be playing Saturday. Baylor Cup was the guy coming in last year that everyone was hopeful would make an impact, and then he's out. And then he, he kind of you start to hear rumors that, oh man, I wonder if he's going to have lingering injury issues throughout his career. Let's Cross our fingers that we get to see something from him Saturday. So that would be nice. That would be a nice, pleasant surprise for me if we saw him pop Saturday. How about Ole Miss? Game changers at wide receiver and defensive line. That's really what I want to see. Now, you assume they're there at wide receiver just because you assume, and you'd probably be right in this, that they're going to have a really, really potent offense this year. We don't have to worry about quarterback. Matt Corral's there. We don't have to worry about it. But he got to have guys to throw to. And they lose some, and they need to develop some. And to be honest with you, I have confidence they will. i just like my eyes to validate or verify that Saturday. But really what they need are game changers on the defensive line. Because last year, I mean, they pushed Alabama. They were one of the teams that pushed Alabama as hard as any team in America, up to and including the playoffs. But what happened was it didn't matter. Alabama, I can't remember that insane stat. Bama gained almost every possible yard they could have gained in the game. I can't remember. It was like 90-something percent of total yards possible for Bama to have gained, they gained. In other words, they couldn't stop molasses in December. And so they have to develop depth there, and that's a multi-year deal. But, you know, it'd be a nice start because they're very excited there. Like, they're very excited that they got some guys that can be game changers this year. And I hope they're right. Because if they are right there and they have flipped uh, a critical mass of that defense which you'll start to see Saturday, if that's true, 
then all of a sudden, like Ole Miss is, if not an outright SEC West contender, they are certainly going to terrify a lot of people. So let's keep an eye on those games Saturday. But that's not all. Nationally, a whole lot of spring games happening outside the SEC. We've got Texas, we got Oklahoma, we got Michigan State, uh, we got North Carolina. Like, it's going to be a busy Saturday. Last Saturday was busy. This Saturday is busy too. Who else? We got Jesse, we got West Virginia. Uh, we got, so we mentioned those other teams. All these are Saturday West Virginia at one, Michigan State at two, Texas at two, North Carolina three, Oklahoma five, all times Eastern. Let's start with Texas. I was over on the Horns 24 7 board today. Chip Brown, anytime I'm going to talk about Texas, I can always count on that guy having posted a litany of inside information and team notes right before we go on air. And sure enough, there he was today, within the last 24 hours, talking about what I think most people assume. Steve Sarkeesian and his staff, you know, fresh off the bus, they just walked in, they're trying to figure things out. What do we have at quarterback? What do we have offensively? And so right now, as good as Casey Thompson looked in the bowl game, and as good as a lot of people have a grip on the opinion that he's going to be the eventual starter, don't expect anything to be announced. You're not going to, you're not going to have any conclusions to that Saturday. Now, what could muddy up the waters a little bit is if, for whatever reason, Casey Thompson struggles, and Sark's on record as saying, we're going to grade these guys based on how they perform with the ones. These guys being, of course, Casey Thompson, and then you got Hudson Card. And those guys, you're both going to see Saturday, barring something crazy. And so that'll be interesting, first off. Secondly, I just want to look for, with my own eyes and judge for myself whether there is a noticeable gap between those two, because they're both going to get reps with ones. So is there a noticeable gap? And like we talked about with LSU last week, is there a, a different way that the offense collectively functions with one versus the other? It's a lot of intangibles. It's a lot of body language. It's a lot of feel. Um, keep an eye on that. Wide receiver was something we talked about with Texas earlier this spring. And we talked about how Jordan Whittington that's a guy you can depend on. It's a guy the coaching staff early on there had felt they could depend on. Um, Troy O'Meary, for instance, won't play Saturday. I don't. I think he's out Saturday. But he's a guy that they feel like they can depend on. And then it was a bunch of blanks, question mark, names that have to sort of prove themselves. Well, since then, if you've listened to the coaching staff out there, Joshua Moore, guy they feel good about, um, Marcus Washington, Dixon, like that's a guy they've mentioned. So that's good news. That's a good sign. Now you got to see the production on the field. They've seen it. I'd like to see it Saturday. But those two units, that quarterback unit, that wide receiver unit, that'll be something I watch first and foremost. Because, I mean, to be honest with you, if you watched even Alabama with the way that Sark's offense at Alabama ran last year, they ran at such a high level of potency. We just talked about that Bama Ole Miss game a couple of minutes ago. It didn't even matter. Ole Miss nearly scored 50 on Alabama. It ended up not mattering. Now, this is not the same crew in terms of talent that Sark was working with in Alabama. Having said that, if he's building towards something, you get your first taste of it here through, what, 14 or 15 practices. So it'll be interesting to see what they roll out there with. Because keep in mind, I mean, this is a new quarterback, so you're minus Sam Ellinger and minus some pieces that Tom Herman had had there. If you walk away and you see a product that excites you already – Nothing but good news, hopefully, to follow. How about up the road in Norman, Oklahoma? Jalen Redman. I want to give out a specific name here. You remember Ronnie Perkins last year. Ronnie Perkins, he was the focal point up front. If you watched Oklahoma games, but you didn't know the roster necessarily, and you said, who is that? Well, chances are it was Ronnie Perkins. Well, this year, that name needs to be Jalen Redman. 
That's a guy that is in a prime position to really burst on the national scene on their defensive front. They got some other guys. Like um, I was over there, I was reading some today, Nick Benito. That's a guy, I think, at linebacker who could really emerge for them. So just looking at sort of in the defensive front seven as opposed to another front seven, if you know of one out there. But if you look at them and you see a couple of guys pop and you see a couple of guys and you say, well, who is that? Chances are it could be one of those two guys Saturday. Spencer Rattler and Caleb Williams, we both get to see. So Spencer Rattler is the starting quarterback here. He is one of, if not the outright Heisman favorites across the country right now. But they've also got the number one quarterback in the country coming in. Now, this is not a position battle per se at the moment or anything like that, but it's always nice. Remember, anytime some of these star quarterbacks, when you can get them and they don't have to start right away, there's several of those instances right now. Bryce Young at Bama was that guy, what would have been that guy last year if we were to have been able to see spring. Drake May, you know, we're going to talk about Carolina in just a second. He's one of those guys that we'll see. Garrett Nussmeyer at LSU. Well, this is another one. Caleb Williams at Oklahoma. We get to see him. And I'm skipping past Rattler only because we've seen him for an entire year. Really interested to see some of the first college reps that we see Caleb Williams take. How about North Carolina? Since we were talking about Mac Brown's team there, this is going to be the most watched spring game in the history of North Carolina football. I feel very confident in saying that. I know that maybe not a lot of you are glued to the day-to-day coming out of Chapel Hill. There is a ton of excitement about football there. A ton. Now, there are some diehard Carolina, North Carolina football fans that are there every year. But at a place like Carolina, where another sport has the brightest spotlight, I mean, it takes a year like this. It takes momentum and energy like this. And it takes a team like this. But they've got it. All the like this is, they're filled. Like Alabama basketball was a huge deal this year. Well, North Carolina football is a huge deal. And it's going to be a huge deal for years to come. But this spring game right here is one where you can look and you can see a lot of commodities that you know about. Sam Howell at quarterback, for example. We do get to see Drake May. Well, hopefully, unless there's something about injuries that I don't know there. But what were we talking about this time last year that we're sitting here again talking about? It is front seven, that defensive front seven, not the offensive front seven, defensive front seven. I'm trying to cut redundancy out of the show, if you haven't noticed. So these are are some vocal exercises I'm just doing on air live. That front seven, though, they knew going in. If you talk to people around Carolina, they knew in spring, in summer, in fall, they knew we're too thin there. We don't have enough proven depth. We're going to get gassed, gashed and gassed, maybe in a reverse order, but it's going to happen. And it did happen at various points. Now, they still had a good year, but they ultimately didn't fulfill what that offense's potential was because they just didn't have the horses up front defensively. How far have they come there? Do they have any kind of difference makers? The same kind of thing we're looking at sort of with these other programs, look at it, but I look at it in a more collective manner with North Carolina, because if you think about what they could be this year, they could be in close games with the big dogs, first off, and they could be one of the most potent offenses in America. So you ask yourself, do you have the counterpoint? Do you have the complementary other unit, in this case it's defense, that leverages that properly or allows you to leverage all that talent properly? Also, the pass game, you know, the pass game is obvious, though. The running back position, that's going to have a lot of focus, obviously. But complete focus for me is just going to be on quality and quantity of talent and depth on the defensive front for them. Michigan State, it's a program we had not been able to talk about much here. And I don't know how much we're going to talk about them Sunday because they're not having a spring game, per se. Mel Tucker just said, well, we're going to practice Saturday. 
I guess you can open the stadium, and if people show up, they can watch us practice. His preview for the spring game was, it's going to be a meat and potatoes kind of day. Classic Michigan State. However, if you are unfamiliar with what's going on up there, and I'm going to doubly touch on it in just a second, got a little quarterback battle. You got a guy named Peyton Thorne, and you got a guy named Anthony Russo. It's a legitimate quarterback battle. No clue. I've, no, I've asked three people today. I got two said one thing. I got one that said the other, and they're one of those two. He was on the fence. So no one really has a firm grasp on where this is going, but it's going to be kind of exciting because they, and by they I mean Michigan State, also working on the pronouns, they lived in the transfer portal, and they have and may not be done yet. They got defensive end, quarterback, just mentioned. They got a running back. They got offensive tackle. They got corner. They went in the transfer portal, and basically it was like that supermarket sweep show where you get your buggy. This was always a dream of mine, and it still is, really. They got a buggy, and then they went into the transfer portal market, and then someone said, 60 seconds, go, and they just went down every aisle, and they said, corner. Oh, a couple of quarterbacks there. Oh, defensive end. And then they, they got to the register, and they had like a quarter of a new team in the uh, buggy. So we get to see a lot of them is the point Saturday. So those are some things to watch with Michigan State as well. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Now, zooming out a little bit, there are a whole lot of transfer quarterbacks out there. The transfer portal's been very active. The quarterback market inside the transfer portal has been doubly active. Some of these you know about, Others, I'm not sure you know about. Now, we're in spring practice season, but this stuff right here is going to matter. So this segment is going to be one of those rare evergreen segments where we could probably post it three months from now, and it'll still be relevant. Now, the first name I'm going to mention, we've spoken a fair amount about. But some of these names, I don't think we have mentioned some of these names at any point this spring. And yet, these are guys, in some cases, that are going to have direct impact on conference title races or could win one. You look at Mackenzie Milton, which is the name I'm going to lead off with, but Jack Cohn's at Notre Dame. Charlie Brewer's one. Let me, you know what? Let me not get ahead of myself. Let me start with Mackenzie Milton. As you look at the graphic there, Jesse's showing you. Was at Central Florida, now is at Florida State. Now, we went into their spring game, which was a couple of weeks ago now, and I said, all I want to do is see him run. 
I don't have any doubt about his arm. He didn't have an upper extremity injury or anything like that, but he had a very complicated knee injury and several subsequent surgeries. So that's one part physical, one part mental. And so we got to see him run. And as soon as I saw him run in their actual spring game, see, there's, there's what he used to look like. If you're watching on YouTube, he was a guy, it's not going to run a 4-3-5 on you, but he's plenty mobile enough to move the pocket. It's part of his game. It's a very, very complimentary and effective part of his game. If he doesn't have that, forget it. Jordan Travis is going to be your guy at Florida State starting at quarterback and, and could still be. But if Mackenzie Milton did have that, I told you, if we see that in the spring game, I'm going to feel really good. I'm going to feel way better than 75% odds that he takes that job. Well, we saw him. We didn't see him run around a whole lot, but we saw him have to run a couple of times enough to where I looked and I said, okay, he can move. He can move. Now, uh, those odds of me feeling more confident in that knee go up drastically. They're not 100% only because one run in a spring game does not equate to 12 weeks of potential wear and tear. But here's what else you get. What else you get is we're in April right now, May, June, July. You get another four months before camp starts, and then you get to manage them favorably in camp to where you're four or five months further removed, and hopefully the integrity and structural integrity, at least of that knee, is to the point where it's a non-factor. If you've got it from the neck up, it's a non-factor. His best week, if you listen to the folks around Florida State, talk to one of them yesterday, uh, his best week of practice was the one leading up to their spring game. So he finished with a bang. He looked really good. He looked more than adequate in the spring game to the point where if he's already comparable in your mind with, uh, with Jordan Travis, then you think you had another five months on of fully becoming familiar with the ins and outs of this offense. I think he's going to be the guy. That's my opinion. I think if there's no setback over the offseason, the what season? Ugh, the offseason. If there is no setback over the summer, I think McKenzie Milton's going to be the starter there. At the very least, it's going to be a very spirited quarterback battle. Jack Cohn. Now, this is a name that you didn't hear last year because he didn't play last year. But the year before, you know what he was busy doing? He was busy taking the Wisconsin Badgers down to Indianapolis, Indiana, where they got a lot of snow this week. We got snow in Nashville. I got sunburn the other day, and we had snow that night. But when Jack Cohn went to Indianapolis, it wasn't to play in the snow. It was to play in the Big Ten championship game because he took Wisconsin there. And then he didn't play last year. And now he has transferred to Notre Dame. So this is a multi-year starter. He's got a lot, of, a lot of reps under his belt. Seems like he's got a lot of mileage under his belt. Ian Book felt like he was 28 years old when he finally left Notre Dame. And, um, or he was out of the picture, at least. And so now you've got Jack Cohn in there. I, I'm trying to get myself excited about it. The reason I've had a hard time getting excited about it is because Jack Cohn in and of himself, even though he has had really good numbers, he was a 70% completion guy that year that they went to the Big Ten Championship game. Having said all that, this is not one of those ready-made, just drop him in the bucket, he'll have everything else in there he needs type situations. Offensive line's kind of a question with Notre Dame, wide receiver's a question there, and so he does not have this stable around him of racehorses ready to run, we just got to find the right jockey. It's not quite that. Quarterback in and of itself is kind of going to need to be a weapon for Notre Dame, and I just don't, I don't know that I view Jack Cohn as a weapon necessarily. And not to mention, I know a lot of you fancy the Notre Dame schedule as soft. It's not. It's not. This year alone, they, I don't know if you guys know this. I think I said it the other night. They start at Florida State. Week one, it's a Sunday night, which always throws our late kick broadcast schedule for a loop on the opening weekend. But I'm not complaining because we get Notre Dame, Florida State on a Sunday night. They play Wisconsin. Hello. Where did he transfer from? They play Wisconsin. They play Cincinnati. B 
beautiful draw right there. Then they go to Virginia Tech. Oh, by the way, those three games I just mentioned, back-to-back-to-back, Wisconsin-Cincinnati at Virginia Tech. Then they uh, play USC and North Carolina back-to-back. So it's not an easy schedule by any stretch, and it is hard for me to endorse any Notre Dame playoff hype merely because of Jack Cohn. Could be wrong. I've been wrong before. I'd be happy to be wrong again, but I'm not endorsing that yet. The next one's the most fascinating one there is. Charlie Brewer is a name familiar in Big 12 circles and or if you're a diehard college football fan. But if you just watch a lot of Florida football and you don't really tune in much, you do not remember the name Charlie Brewer in all likelihood. Well, let me refresh your memory. Charlie Brewer was a multi-year starter at Baylor. Charlie Brewer was a guy that got Baylor into the Big 12 championship conversation in 17, 18, and 19. He was money. Started as a true freshman. He was money. 2020 comes around. They got a new staff out there. COVID totally guts the roster, and Baylor football's not all that great, and Charlie Brewer's not all that great. Well, he has transferred now, and he has gone to Utah. And we did not preview the Utah spring game the other day, and shame on us for not doing so, because all Charles Brewer did is go 15 of 15. He threw for like half a mile or something like that. And I know that this is not necessarily a stat sheet kind of format in a spring game, but I had our stats and info department crunch the numbers. And that is a tie for the best completion percentage in the history of spring games, 15 of 15. So it's 100% is what it comes out to. And they tell me you can't do better than that. So at the very least, again, at Utah now, we've got a quarterback battle. Because Cam Rising is a name that, I don't know, like three months ago, you would have thought would be the starting quarterback for Utah. This is a situation, and it always is at Utah, where you know without having any clue about a single name on the roster, it's Kyle Whittingham, it's Utah, they're going to have a really solid, viable product. But then what would happen if you put a legitimate quarterback in there, and let's just say some of those anonymous names overachieve relative to what typical Utah standards would be? What would happen? Well, they'd win the Pac-12 South. That's what would happen. They're a bona fide contender there. That's a team that's it just as likely to face Oregon or, or whoever the North spits out as Southern Cal is. Southern Cal is going to get 10 times the hype and the love in the preseason for obvious reasons. But that one's one to really keep an eye on because that's one that could be felt and have sort of a ripple effect outside of just Salt Lake City, Utah. And last but not least, does anyone know who Jack Abraham is? Sounds like a National League umpire. Jack Abraham was at Southern Miss. And he was good at Southern Miss, but you probably didn't know it because it was Southern Miss. Now he's at Mississippi State. And this is yet another situation where it snuck up on me. I didn't, well, nor did you really expect this transfer or that transfer to happen. But Jack Abraham had a good thing at Southern Miss. Aside from the white balance they do or the lack thereof on their game feeds, as you can see right now if you're watching on YouTube, you got to go on the road if you get good white balance for Southern Miss football. But I'm not here to talk about their multimedia department. God bless those people. I'm here to talk about the quarterback, who is now in Starkville. So they have their spring game last week, do the Mississippi State Bulldogs. And you got that kid, Will Rogers, who you probably remember from last year going into Georgia and pushing Kirby Smart and company to the brink. They lost the game, but you walked away if you were like me thinking, dude, that Will Rogers kid was pretty good. Hey, at the very least, KJ Costello's out of here. You got Will Rogers in a nice preview of the future. And maybe it still is. But then all of a sudden, you're flipping through ESPN 19 last week, and there's, who is, oh, man, Will Rogers looks pretty good. 
and you hear the voice in your ear. That's not Will Rogers, friend. That's a guy named Jack Abraham, not the National League umpire. Jack Abraham from Southern Miss. And he looked phenomenal. And here's what everyone around Starkville was saying afterwards. You know, that's a classic Mike Leach quarterback. And once upon a time, there was a guy named Gardner Minshew who came in as a grad transfer at that point when Leach was at Washington State. And he, he came in, and here's what happened. Just a perfect sink. One of those, again, perfect cross-section matches of talent and staff and system. And he blew up out there. And a lot of people are hoping that that is duplicated, albeit this time at Mississippi State in the SEC West. But Jack Abraham looked really good. I didn't expect it. Uh, no one expected it. I don't even think half the Mississippi State fan base expected it. But now we got it. So a lot of quarterback battles now have uh, been born and will be waged over the coming months because of the transfer portal. And keep in mind, we're probably not done there. So we're coming out of spring. And once we get out of spring, again, it's widely expected that that number is only going to go up. And as a result, we may have to do another segment just like this one down the road. Lastly, I wanted to circle around and I wanted to talk about this. As you've noticed, this is a college football show. We define our lane. We're college football. We don't do a whole lot of NFL draft. And by a whole lot, I mean we don't do any NFL draft. And I'm not talking NFL draft here per se, but I did want to take a little college angle on it. Colin, here's where you can cut the clip right here. Mock draft season. It's ongoing. It's almost over, though. So mock draft season and the mock community registered is something that we have taken umbrage with at various points on the show. But I wanted to clarify, I already kind of did it on Twitter earlier this week, and I want to clarify for everyone watching, when I talk about the mock community, it's not a broad brush. Maybe sound like it. It's not all-encompassing. Guys like the Mel Kuypers of the world, the Todd McShays of the world, you know, kind of the names that have been out there for a long time. Believe it or not, I got no problem with those guys. You know why I don't have a problem with it? Well, I see Todd McShay all the time at games when I'm at him. I know that guy's watching college football every week. Mel Kuyper, I hear him talk about college football every week during the season. Those guys are watching the game. They are watching. They're observing, hopefully. But at the very least, they are watching the college product. If you are watching college football every week, reasonable minds can disagree at that point. The ones I take exception with, like I said the other day, are the guys who are releasing Mock Draft 9.0, and then they'll tell you, you know, I really think Miami could win the Big East this year. It's like, I don't have time for all that, friend. Miami hadn't been in the Big East in a decade. Well, they haven't. I, I meant, what did you mean? I, I meant, go sit down. Go sit by the garbage. That's where those people need to be. Having said that, I thought Bruce Feldman with The Athletic did a really good job this past uh, couple of days ago of accumulating what I think is some of the most valuable content in our industry, and that is going to coaches and getting them willing to go on the record, at least with their opinion, if you'll keep their identity anonymous. Now, you've got to have some editorial integrity there to make sure and go find guys who are going to be straight with you and who don't have an axe to grind maybe against a particular player. So you're going to get true, raw, authentic, football-minded feedback and analysis, and there's no real slant to it. It's just it is what it is. It is as good a feedback as you're going to get. So Bruce Feldman goes and he asked two or three quarterback coaches from around college football about anywhere from Justin Fields to Trey Lance to Zach Wilson to Trevor Lawrence, Mac Jones, and then there's some Devontae Smith here too. But I wanted to just, let's sprinkle in around this entire segment what was said. I don't want to give away the whole article. It's over on The Athletic. It's, a, it's behind a paywall. So um, this is premium content, so I'm not reading it verbatim or anything. But just some takeaways I had. Trevor Lawrence 
is going to go number one overall in the draft to the Jaguars. And Trevor Lawrence was also a guy that these quarterbacks coaches looked and said would be their number one pick. He's the best guy overall if you're grading. But they talked about his arm, really good arm, a plus arm, as they would call it in the scouting community, but maybe not an elite arm. I, I My eyeballs disagree, but I'm not a quarterback evaluator either. Smart and safe. Those were the two ways that his offense was described at Clemson. So obviously, the follow-up there is, what kind of offense is he going to be put in when he goes, presumably, to Jacksonville? And their whole context was, is he a plug-and-play day one guy? And there's another guy in this draft that a lot of them, there was a consensus on, as a matter of fact, is a better day one guy than Trevor Lawrence. But I found it really interesting to listen to that. For example, the feedback about arm talent and whatnot. Zach Wilson from Brigham Young, different story. I thought the feedback there was, was you know, pretty predictable. It's how do you measure for competition level? Because you looked at that guy sometimes, and this is what I picked up on. This would be my biggest worry, not a knot, but a worry on Zach Wilson. If you watched a lot of Brigham Young, I can't say BYU. There's why, BYU, Harris County High School. If you watched any Brigham Young this year, you saw a lot of plays made outside the pocket, which is good. They count. Touchdowns count no matter where you score from on the field in college and in the NFL, for the record, as far as I know. But what a lot of the quarterback guys kept saying is, you got to play from a tight pocket. In the pro game, a lot of the money is made in a tight pocket. And when you watched him at Brigham Young, wasn't a lot of stuff happening in a tight pocket. Now, the competition level allowed you to get away with that there. How does it translate here? And the thinking is, and this is where I get a little bit out of my comfort zone, I guess the thinking is it's the Jets, maybe, for him. Even I know how bad that sounds. Even my mouth gets dry when I talk about that. And the prospect of a quarterback being dropped in to New York and having virtually nothing around him, it's, that's essentially what the feedback was from the quarterback's coaches there. What about Justin Fields? Now, this has been fun for me because you know I got all the confidence in the world in Justin Fields. And it's because I've watched him for quite a while. I, I grew up covering him at the high school level. So a lot of us that are from the Georgia high school scene, like, I mean, we've known about Justin Fields for a long time. Never a whiff of the character concerns or anything like that. N- never has been. And I got news for you. I got plenty of folks down there who would be more than willing to tell me about it behind the scenes, even if they would never go public with it. Never heard about it. So I've laughed at that. These guys, for the record, laughed at all that, the criticism. Came out this week that he deals with epilepsy. It's not an area that I'm an expert in, uh, but it's not something that, according to experts, they expect to affect his game. The tangible football-related knocks or the potential question marks around Justin Fields, as far as I can tell, have had nothing to do with athleticism, arm talent, or anything like that. It's all about how good he sees the field and how ready he is as a progression read-based quarterback from day one in the league. I would argue you ask that about 90% of quarterbacks when they come out. So that's not anything unique to me. I look at the upside. You know, the, the next NFL team I run will be the first team, but I look at the upside, and he's got a whole lot of it. But I'll tell you what surprised me if you were to put me in a cryo chamber this time last year, and then you just unfreeze me around this time now. If you told me that I was going to be reading the following intel from actual NFL quarterback types, I would have been the mind-blown emoji. My skull would come open, and there, there would go the mind. This is what was said about Mac Jones. The most NFL day one ready quarterback in the draft, processes better than anyone, gets into the right look, best accuracy, best anticipation. They're all 100s on the 1 to 100 scale. 
more NFL ready than any of them. And that includes Trevor Lawrence and that includes Justin Fields. And I'm not arguing with this. I'm just saying I continue to be amazed that it's out of all the guys in the world, it's Mac Jones, who we didn't even know was going to start at Alabama last year, that we're saying all this about. And by we, I don't mean me. I'm not, I'm not interjecting my opinion so much here. It's one of those rare segments where I defer to the experts here. The long-term physical tools, that's what people ask about with Mac Jones. You look at him and you say, he's NFL ready because he's very cerebral from the neck up, and he's got good enough physical attributes. Now, that shirtless picture that floated around of him probably did him no favors, but that's one of the things that those quarterback guys in Feldman's piece talked about. You can find this on The Athletic, by the way. They talked about how different the perception of him would be if that shirtless picture where he looks 42 years old like he's got a sensible mortgage and three kids, if that hadn't surfaced, would there be as many questions about him athletically? Because no one expects him to run. No one expects that. So no one would ever even talk about his athleticism. But if you want my, let me give you my scouting profile from Mac Jones. I never saw Mac Jones slide in a game where I wasn't terrified about his health when he tried to get up. Because I think he's terrible at sliding. So purchase a slip and slide. Once you hand out the signing bonus, however many millions of dollars it is, go find one of those little crocodile mile things because you got to have him practice sliding. But other than that, the whole athleticism thing, it's overblown. You know, like um, if you ever walk around a locker room, this is, this is you know, it's kind of, it's going to be a little bit, it's going to border on inappropriate, but it's not going to be inappropriate. So Jesse, let's roll with it. If you get to be in locker rooms, I think you guys would be fascinated, but I'm not going to show you. So you're going to have to imagine it with me. You would be fascinated at the different body types. And some of the best players that you see, I'm not talking about quarterbacks anymore necessarily, some of the most physically impressive quarterbacks you watch on game day, let me just put it this way, they don't exactly possess bodybuilder physique. Conversely, some of the best physiques that you will ever see, like the body fat percentage of this desk I'm sitting at right now, cannot put it together to save their lives when they get on the field. So a lot of people in the scouting world, obviously, have learned different ways to measure you than... Well, uh, let's see, what, what is the body fat percentage here? What's the muscle mass composition? What does he look like with his shirt off? All that, yeah, people talk about it. But man, what are you going to ask me to do? You're going to ask me to throw a football. You're going to ask me to use these. I'm pointing to my eyes. I'm, I'm going to use this, my brain. Sometimes I got to use these, my feet. But none of these require me to have overly defined oblique muscles. But yet it's a big talking point because I accidentally took my shirt off while I was smoking a cigar one day when I was a fourth-string quarterback when we beat Tennessee. So that's, um, that's the point of the mock community draft process that we've gotten into. But the Devontae Smith thing this week is what's great. Uh, it's great because I tweeted out the picture of my entire draft strategy the other day, which consists of a piece of paper that was folded up. And when you unfold it, it just says Devontae Smith no matter what, a la Kevin Costner in draft day. But it was only kind of a joke because I really mean it. Devontae Smith weighed in at 166 reportedly. Here's how ridiculous this stuff gets. Devontae Smith, if he were to have weighed 170, it would be a non-issue. The gap in four pounds, because 170 just looks so much better than 166, uh, that's probably enough to make a difference in some of these minds. But let me just assure you this. Whether he weighs 166 or 176, he's going to weigh a lot more when he's carrying your franchise. And that's what a guy like Devontae Smith is capable of. So if you don't draft him, I will put Pate State in the NFL, probably have to rechange our name, but then we will draft him. I just don't want to be the general manager that passes up on a guy because he weighed 166 instead of 171 
and then he just tortures me for the next decade. I don't want to be that guy, so I'm not going to be that guy. And I can assure you I'm not, because I'm not going to the NFL anytime soon. That is a wrap for us tonight. Really good show. Uh, We're looking forward to a big weekend of spring games. We're going to have a loaded or jam-packed, as we like to say around here, show Sunday night. Remember, follow me on Instagram, at LateKickJosh. So many good things in the oven. So many good things. You can tell they're on the tip of my tongue. Because every time I say good things, you see me look up and to the right. If I look to the left, it's not a big deal. But if I look up and to the right, body language experts will tell you, that means I want to say something. But I just can't. And I do. But I just can't. But don't worry because we've still got several months until the season. And over those months, one of the other reasons I tell you don't tune out is because we'll just be, we'll just be dropping nuggets. Every, every couple of weeks, something new will come along. So don't tune out. That's all I'm telling you. Don't tune out. And like the video, by the way, before you leave, or subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review. That's all we got for Director Emeritus Colin Jesse and the entire crew in Connecticut. I'm Josh Pate. Have yourselves a great weekend, and God bless. Returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You don't want to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus.